He's a retired ATF agent. From 2006 to 2014, he worked undercover in storefront stings, infiltrating organized crime. He and his team took thousands of guns off the street from violent felons. And he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Calling us from the Southeast Georgia area, we have Lou Velosi on the phone. Lou is a retired ATF agent. He worked many, many years undercover. We're going to talk about that in a moment. He's also author of the book, Storefront Sting, an ATF Agent's Life Undercover. Written by Lou with Brian Whitney and forwarded by Javier Pena, who we've had on the show before. Some heavy hitters in that book, Lou. Yes, thank you. It's an honor to be here, John. Much appreciated. I'm so glad you were here. I'm so glad you were here to tell your story. And, you know, to be honest with you, the ATF doesn't get a whole lot of publicity. And for as a matter of fact, most law enforcement agencies don't. And when they do, it's usually wrong, misleading, inaccurate, or flat out biased. So I'm so thrilled you're coming on to tell your story. Yep. Thank you. We, uh, you know, ATF, we seems like the only publicity we do get is negative. Um, sometimes it has been deserved uh, at times, mostly due to ATF management. But uh, all the all the great things that we've done uh, don't seem to ever make it to the press. No, and it's usually the, the management, administration, brass. That's usually the cause of it. And a lot of people really don't understand what ATF does. What is the mission, briefly, of the ATF? So our mission, which has changed over the years, uh, is primarily and probably for the last 20 years, gangs, guns, and drugs. And that's primarily getting the crime guns out of the hands of gang members, violent felons, and the people out there in society who are not supposed to have guns. That is our primary mission. One of the things I always say, and I'm a retired street cop, is the ATF has a reputation amongst law enforcement, at least in Baltimore, of being street cops. They, you saw them. They were out there. They're on the street. They're working. Uh, where Some of the other federal agencies, and I'm not saying this is a negative, but some of the federal agencies rarely ever leave the office. Yeah. The, you know, I came over from another agency. Uh, I started, I was, I was out on the streets in Los Angeles and uh, was lucky enough to get on a task force. Uh, with ATF, and, and I saw the, what you just described. You know, these guys were, they were first well-respected, you know, by the LAPD, by the, the real street cops, and they were always in the middle of things. I mean, they were going after the worst of the worst, 
Uh, they were kind of the cowboys, uh, the street cops of federal law enforcement. And, you know, I said to myself then, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, they were doing all the heavy undercover work. That's what I wanted to do. And I was eventually I was able to make my way over to the ATF. So you did a lot of undercover work, and we'll talk about that at length in a moment. But before we do, Lou, I got to tell people, I worked narcotics for years, and I was a good surveillance cop. I was a great narcotics surveillance cop. I was lousy at undercover. Never did quite get the hang of it. Just not good. It's not my bailiwick. How did you get trained for this? Because that's not a natural thing to do. Yeah, you know, I discovered it. It was it was the one thing in my life I was good at. When I first got on with ATF, I had put in for, you know, as a Spanish-speaking agent transferring over to ATF, I put in for New York, Miami, and Los Angeles, thinking, you know, I would definitely get one of the three. And uh, the ATF put me in Savannah, Georgia. And, uh, you know, I wasn't didn't even know anything about Savannah, but I was very lucky in that my partner, my first partner, was a big-time undercover guy. His name's Randy Beach. And within my first few days, because back then with ATF, before you even went to the academy, they gave you your gun and badge and you were out in the street. And uh, within my first few days, I was I was doing undercover gun buys in, in fast food restaurants and alleyways. And uh, once I started getting into it, you know, I, I knew I had found a home and I, I wanted to work my way on to kind of that national scene. Uh, in the undercover world, in the HF um, Enhanced Undercover Program, and, and I did. I, I became obsessed with it. So, backtracking, back in the day, when you guys started, you were put on the streets before you even went to the academy. Yeah, we. Uh, you got your badge right away, and when uh, you go, and we were out there, we were out there working. I was already, you know, making cases and had court dates before I even went to the HF Academy. That's amazing because back in my day, and I consider myself a geezer by by uh, comparison to a lot of other people. You know, I started in police work in 1980, and yeah, we we're given a badge, and we were in the academy. We didn't get issued a gun until much later down the road, and it was definitely a unique learning experience. There was so much to absorb and take in. I thought the academy was hard, but the truth is, everything I thought I was good at. When I graduated from the academy, I was not prepared for the streets. It was it was a totally different ball of wax. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really can relate to that. Uh, you know, when I first got on the job and got sent out to Los Angeles uh, for my first six months, they put you at the LA LA County Jail Central, and uh, you know, my job was to sit there and to interview uh, criminal. Aliens, foreign-born nationals, um, on the on the release line to determine alienage and deportability, and that's when I really first got my introduction to those West Coast gangs, uh, to the MS-13, to the 18th Street Gang, and uh, it's probably where I learned the most. Like you're saying, uh, I you know I didn't know anything about these West Coast gangs, and uh, I I wasn't prepared for that level of violence and and the inhumanity uh, that they possessed coming from these other countries. And uh, it it was an eye opener. And and I cherished those first six months, even though no one was crazy about sitting in jail. You know, it it was a real eye opener and it prepared me for the streets. Yeah. I I don't think I could do jail work. And by the way, our our brothers and sisters work corrections. If they weren't born a special breed, they developed skill sets to be a special breed because that takes a special person to be inside just the noise alone would drive me out of my mind. Unsung heroes. Um, you know, they don't, they don't get any glory uh, or recognition. 
but they truly are the unsung heroes. Every single person they deal with, uh, you know, has obviously the potential for violence. And uh, they, they really... They they really are the unsung heroes of law enforcement. Uh, you know what, what a job um, you really have to be up for every day. You can't even take an hour off on that job. No, there's no break at all. But before we go to a break, I, I want to backtrack. You said something very important. The similar case of me. My background did not prepare me for what I experienced in law enforcement. What was your background? You know, I, I grew up in the suburbs in New York, and uh, you know, I had gone to college went to college on a football scholarship and uh, got out and I had, I had no direction at all. Um, you know, I had a worthless economics degree and a terrible grade point average. And I was working at a bank for about nine bucks an hour when uh, I just had a chance meeting uh, in the Bronx with a guy, uh, guy who I played ball with asked me to come, come down and visit. And he was at his brother's house and his brother just happened to be a DEA agent. And he had just gotten back from Panama and he was working undercover. He talked to me for about a half hour. We had a beer, and, uh, you know, I, I knew right then that's what I wanted to do. And uh, the rest they say is history. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Lou Velosi on the Law Enforcement Today Show, retired ATF agent, also author of the book. It is called Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Lou Velosi on the Law Enforcement Show. Lou is retired ATF agent. By the way, thank you for your service. Forgot to mention that. He is also author of the book Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. Before we went to break, Lou, we started talking about your background, your career, and you started with another federal agency, then gravitated towards ATF. And by the way, the ATF in Baltimore had great reputation, and they had some crazy parties i think the one i remember the most or can't remember <laughs> the elliot ness night parties they were phenomenal oh yeah De- pheno- yep. and those were different days different times uh i think a lot of what we did when we were younger you don't do anymore absolutely actually those parties were actually outlawed and banned uh later on by atf so that should tell you a little something about how great they were i'm gonna put it this way i had a wild streak back in the day and i was tame I was mild compared to a lot of these other people. Yeah, when I first got introduced uh, kind of on the national scene to, uh, you know, who eventually became all my undercover brothers and sisters, man, it was it was eye opening. I mean, these guys were crazy. And, uh, you know, what always struck me about these guys as I as I slowly got to know them and, and became a part of it was how smart they were. I mean, you, you would be in a bar with these guys and it would look like, you know, the or some gang was in the bar, but these were these were college-educated street cops who were borderline genius uh, at what they did. Yeah, and also heroic. It takes a lot of nerve to walk into the lion's den. It takes a lot of being able to think on your feet and think outside of the box to be undercover. That's why I really wasn't that good at it. <laughs> well, 
you know, I I always compare uh, undercover work and great undercovers to comedians. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, all the great comedians, if you think about it, um, incredible on their feet, their ability to ad lib, and all of them kind of have a little bit of a tragic life in their personal life. Um, you know, there's kind of a almost a sadness, you know, behind the scenes, and uh, you know that was. Most of the guys I, I worked with, uh, and unfortunately I kind of fell into it myself, but, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of tragedy and loss in the personal lives, uh, kind of behind the scenes of, of the great work that was done. And not to be belittle that point, so many people I've worked with in law enforcement, all the different federal agencies. And when I was detailed the DEA, there were no exception. There were Maryland State Police there. There were Anne Arundel County. There were Baltimore County Police, Baltimore City Police, like myself, DEA agents. And I'd say half of them had tremendous issues going on at home. And one of the ways they dealt with it, Lou, was to throw themselves into their work. And that's absolutely what I did. Uh, I became consumed with it. Uh, again, I had found what I was good at. And it, it absolutely it became a healthy competition uh, between us. Uh, there were guys like... Myself, Jay Dobbins, uh, Chris Bayless, Richie Zayas, and you know we we started making these huge cases. Uh, and you'd hear about a case that another guy did, and how many defendants, how many guns off the street. And although you were proud that that was a member of your team uh, that did it, deep down inside you were like, well, you know, I can outdo that. You know, I can one up that. And it became sort of a healthy competition. Work-wise, and ATF certainly loved the results, uh, but it was not very healthy for any of our personal lives, for sure. Well, one of the things, and I, I do know a little bit of Jay's story, and I want to have him on the show in the future. He paid a, a terrific price. I know you did, too. One of the, the sayings that it took me a long time to get, Lou, was that you can love this job, but it won't love you back. Boy, that's the truth, John. Yeah, well, you, you think you're important, and uh, you know you think that your your office can't do without you. Uh, you find out real quick that you truly are just another number, and uh, when when you go, you will be replaced. Um, you know, either by someone who can do it as good or better than you, or even not as good. And, and the agency or the department just moves on, and that's the truth. Yeah, and sometimes I, I don't know if this ever crosses your mind i sometimes wonder if any of those cats back there even know who i was yeah it, at a point you just become old, old what's his name the old, um, <laughs> the old which, geezer you know, which, back to the conversation yeah. i'm an old geezer i survived absolutely which is why you kind of look back and you know for those of us that kind of uh put the job in front of their family and friends uh it does lead to some regrets you know uh yeah. like i've said this before i'm i definitely was never up for the for the father of the year or the husband of the year award uh, while I was, you know, in my career. And, and that's something that I'm certainly not very proud of. Well, I get it. And, you know, I paid a terrific price too. my family did as well. And before we get into your story, I'll just say this. I'm a much better husband and father than I was then. And I wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't a bad husband or father. I just didn't have the tools that they have nowadays that I have nowadays. I would totally agree with that, John. It's a, uh, you know, I, I was, I was just kind of absent. Um, and you know, now that it's only, once you have a little perspective and you can sit back and look at, you know, I know I've become both a better husband and father, but, uh, it almost took that bottoming out, you know, for, for me to realize 
what I was doing wrong. Did that happen after you retired or towards the end of your career? That happened at the end of my career at the tail end. Were you one of these guys? And I say guys, that means men and women were like, everything's gone and my identity's gone and everything's important's gone. And all I have to do is think and then become acutely aware of my shortcomings. Yeah. I, you know, I uh, was identifying myself as an undercover agent. That's who I was. I was an undercover agent. It's what I did. I did it well. And it became my identity. Uh, I was believing in my own, my own game, my own hustle, uh, you know, at the expense of my family and my friends. And, uh, yeah, it took a, a total crash, uh, for me to kind of remember who I really am and to, and to rearrange my priorities. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you made it through that hump. And I'm glad you're, if you're like me and many of the guests I've had on the show, we're still a work in progress. None of us has arrived. None of us is where we want to be, but we're further away from the guy we used to be. And I'll go back to what I said before. The guy before was not a bad guy. I don't want people to, take, to misconstrue what I'm saying. It's just not the guy I wanted to be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We talked about going undercover. One of the things that, and I always say this, I could be 85 years old. I could be the guy in the old folks home pushing a walker and people say, shh, there's five O. I'll always look like a cop no matter what I do. And I would try mm-hmm. to do undercover drug buys and they dress me up and I'd have a pierced ear, which no one did back in the time. And I had all kinds of rules I try to do. And I was never able to get anyone to ever sell me anything. Because I always look like a cop, and I just couldn't find a way to break beyond that. Yeah, I, I understand that. I um, and, and you know, I can I can always pick a cop out, um, and I think most most people can. Uh, they're just by the way, not even the way you look, but the way you carry yourself. Oh, you I got talk. the mean mug going on. My daughters will tell you jokes about that. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We're gonna take a short break. We're talking with. Lou Velosi, and he is a retired ATF agent, also author of the book, Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We return. We're talking about this undercover work and much more. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. You try and get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Down Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way. Feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Return our conversation with Lou Velosi on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Lou is a retired ATF agent. That's alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, I believe, if I'm correct. He's also the book author of the book, Storefront Sting, and ATF Agent's Life Undercover, written by Lou with Brian Whitney and forward by Javier Pena from Narcos fame. Before I go, 
further. I got to thank you again for your service. I always forget to do that. And the truth is, Lou, I've been thanked far more after I retired than I ever did on the job. Has that been the case for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I kind of lived an invisible life while I was on the job. Um, so, you know, even neighbors, people just didn't know what I did. But uh, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of thanks going out uh, while while we were serving. But uh, just like you, you know, especially since writing the book, I, you know, I've kind of received uh, more than I deserve, I feel. I hear you. And I never know, quite know how to respond to that. So I've, I've gotten better. I've, I understand the polite thing to say, you're welcome. Because uh, I don't know right. what to say. Uh, yep. So you gravitate in your career towards undercover work. And I get, you said earlier about the healthy competition. You wanted to outdo this other agent who made a great case and everything else. I get that part. I want to do better. I want to, quite honestly, I wanted to be Superman. I wanted to be the one everybody looked up to. It's like, man, there's a cop over there. If you have a problem, that's the one you got to go see. That's I wanted to be that guy all the time. And I put unnatural pressure on me. When you had that healthy competition, did you find out in the end that you were putting unhealthy pressure on yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, I never said no. Uh, anyone who needed any undercover work done, I didn't say no. Uh, I, I wouldn't turn it down. You know, I wanted to be the guy, the go-to guy, as you're saying. And uh, that's kind of how I fell into the storefront operations. I had an agent just call me and say, hey, we're, we're going to start up a storefront operation. We need an undercover. Do you want to do it? I didn't even know what a storefront operation was, and I said yes. You were all in, and you had no idea what it was about. No. I, you know, I had heard of a storefront. You know, the old LAPD, NYPD had done some, mostly just to disrupt small-time fencing operations and all that, but we were taking it to a whole nother level. I think there's an episode or two of Hill Street Blues where they did some of that fencing stuff, uh, the storefront thing. So, Yes. One of the things I don't think people really fully grasp, it's one thing to do undercover work with drug enforcement where it's organized crime. With ATF and you're buying guns, you're selling guns or, or trying to get guns off street, whatever it might be. And when I say you're selling guns, I'll explain in a moment how that works. You're dealing with armed people and you're dealing with violent felons and criminals who are armed. You know right away you're going into bad situations. Yeah, one thing you know right away is there's going to be guns at the deal, right? Whether, you know, they're being carried or they're part of the deal, there's going to be guns present. So, you know, that that should definitely raise your your awareness, you know, and if it doesn't, you shouldn't be doing the job. Um, but we were, our mandate was to deal with the armed violent offenders, you know, with the trigger pullers, the ones putting the guns on the street. So it kind of upped the game, um, you know, in all of our undercover transactions and our deals, because these were the most violent people on the streets that we were going after. And that takes that takes a lot of nerve. Uh, it takes a lot of confidence in your skill sets that I can survive this. Yeah, it's, you know, the key to and I have so many people ask me, uh, you know, weren't you scared? Were you scared? And my answer is no. And that's not a. That's not a tough guy answer. Uh, I was doing what I loved. I was excited. This was exactly what I found. You know, how many people find exactly what they want to do it and do in life and then can succeed at it? I, I did that. So I never had nerves. I wasn't really scared. Um, I was doing doing what I love to do. Uh, looking back now, you know, did I put myself in some situations that probably weren't very smart? Absolutely. But at the time I was doing it, 
uh, it really was, it was about that high. And you did these undercover storefronts for, was it about eight years? Yes. Yep. They had a good run. They ran from about 2007 to about 2014. And during that time period, how many, roughly, how many guns did you take off street from violent criminals? I'm not talking about the mom and pop Second Amendment law-abiding citizens like you and me. I'm not talking about those folks at all. I'm talking about the bad people. You know, we only bought crime guns. Uh, So during that time, I did four operations myself, you know, that I was the lead undercover case agent. Those four operations, which were all in Georgia, I bought over 1,000 guns in those four operations. And during that time, I flew all over the country. ATF had designated me the subject matter expert in undercover storefront investigations. And I I went all over the country, West Coast, East Coast, up North, uh, Southeast, and helped other agents start these operations or help them during the operation. And again, you know, thousands of more guns were, were purchased off the street during that time. And without giving away operational secrets, I don't, I don't want to do that. You, you have to have some fail safe measures when you have these undercover operations going on. I'm sure there was backup teams. There's other things, but really you're on your own, aren't you? Yeah, we say this all the time, especially, you know, some of the areas we were in and and with some of the, you know, physical uh, barriers that were up, really, your cover team was was there basically to avenge your death if something happened. There was no way the guys coming in had bad intentions and and they got the drop on you. There's no way your cover team saved you. They're basically there to avenge your death because by the time something happens, there's no way they're in the door yet. No. And when you did the undercover stuff, you had no soft body, ar- soft body armor. You had no badge. You had none of that stuff, did you? Never. Anything that could identify you. People need to understand. This is something that, that Hollywood gets wrong 99% of the time. Anytime you go undercover, and I said this, I'm lousy at it. When they go undercover, there's nothing that identifies you as being a cop. As quite often, with long-term undercover, you have fake identities, fake driver's licenses as well, correct? In a long-term uh, infiltration, uh, which I did more than I should have probably, but, you know, you are a different person. You have your, your mine was Sal Nunziato. So I had Sal Nunziato. He had a driver's license in about three states, you know, social security card, credit history, everything, magazine subscriptions, everything. If you Googled him, uh, if you had a private investigator, if you hired a private investigator to look up Sal Nunziato, he was a real person. Uh, and yes, w- there were times when not only during a long-term infiltration, could you, did you obviously not carry a badge, but you didn't even carry a gun, uh, depending on who you were working with. There were times where having a gun on you wasn't even an option. So you're right about that. Hollywood gets it wrong all the time. During these undercover operations, did you have any moments where you're like, oh no, this is going to end bad? I, I had a lot, um, you know, th- there were times, uh, I can think of some in Chicago when I was, I was, uh, it was a mafia infiltration that was also combined with the motorcycle gang, uh, times when I, you know, I was in, um, the bad guy's place and he had, he had, uh, frequency interceptors, you know, there was, I couldn't even wear a wire and, uh, there was about three or four levels of security to get through to get into this place. And basically when I was in there and I was in there with a whole bunch of mobsters, 
you know, I had no backup. No one could hear me. There was, there was literally no backup. And, you know, there were tense negotiations in time when I thought to myself, you know, if, if these guys, they either decide that they've dealt, dealt with me enough and they know I'm showing up with $20,000 to buy a kilo, they're just going to take it and kill me. There is nobody coming to save me. You're totally on your own. That, that's a feeling I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, I don't relish. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We are talking with Lou Velosi, retired ATF agent, also author of the book, Storefront Sting, and ATF Agent's Life Undercover. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we're going to talk about the undercover work in the storefront stings and how undercover work began to affect his personality and personal life. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. conversation with Lou Velosi on the Law Enforcement Show. Lou is a retired ATF agent. He is also author of the book, Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. This is fascinating stuff we're talking about, Lou, and I appreciate your service and, and spending part of your day talking about this, because this stuff really is not easy to talk about. People may think it's uh, the braggadocious, you know, I did this, I did that. You haven't talked about that. You've talked more about the human element of what it's like doing this, and that's part, it's not easy. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and that's a pretty common theme with most of the guys I worked with. Um, you know, we're more likely to tell you about the mistakes we made than the successes that we had Um because there's no playbook really for undercover work, and uh, there it's very gray. It's a gray area. It's it's not black and white. And uh, you know, we learned through our mistakes, and, and there was a lot of mistakes made. Well, they always say the old saying is hindsight's twenty twenty in police work, especially. Uh, so many things. I'm sure over your career, new policies, new training procedures that results of horrific things that happened in the past with other agents, other officers. Yeah, and and. That is kind of amplified with undercover work. And, you know, I'm going to borrow a line from my uh, my colleague from Jay Dobbins uh, because it rings so true. Uh, because it's such a gray area uh, working undercover, and literally, and I'm not being dramatic, you know, your life is on the line almost every time you're in an undercover deal. Uh, what happened during, during a lot of our long-term infiltrations is we took the laws very seriously, all right? You can, we never broke a law. You can't break a law. Unfortunately, we, we kind of considered ATF policies to be more suggestions because, you know, we were, I, I would be happy, not happy, but I'm willing to answer to some supervisor who's never done any undercover work, uh, you know, and then I would be to get shot by a bad yeah. guy. So yeah. uh, We had an old saying, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. Yes, sir. That's the uh, the reality of the situation. And those rules, you know, we play within rules. And there's a lot of latitude you're given, but there's certain things you just don't do. And none of us stood for it. I can't speak for you, but none of us would tolerate those things that corruption, other things just didn't happen because yep. it was not something 
the Serpico days ended a long time ago is what I'm getting at. That's right. What I do want to focus on is, and many of my guests say this, when you work in law enforcement for any length of time, uh, you're going to get dinged up. I'm not talking just talking about physically. I've had more surgeries you can shake, shake a stick at, more orthopedic surgeries. But there's certainly emotional damage. There's mental damage, for lack of better words. There's scars that people don't see. When you work undercover, it's got to be magnified a hundredfold. Without a doubt, if, especially if you don't take a break, which I never did. Um, and there's kind of two thoughts on that. You know, one thought is, well, it's most healthy for a law enforcement officer who wants to work undercover. Let them do it for four or five years and get them out. Um, you know, get them out, get them back to reality, get them, you know, let them do something else. But that wasn't the way with us. You know, because the other school of thought on that is that after four or five years, man, you just kind of, you're really honing your skills. I mean, now you're really ready, you know, to do it. Um, you've learned from your mistakes. You've learned from your experiences. And uh, we never stopped. Um, I couldn't stop. Even if they had told me to stop, I wouldn't have stopped. And you don't realize uh, what that is doing to you, the effect it's having on you mentally until you crash and burn. Uh, And, you know, that's what it took for me. Uh, You don't realize how you're slowly slipping into that undercover persona. And it's kind of taken over a little bit from your real persona. And you're going to find out the hard way. Did you ever feel like, who am I? I'm not the guy I used to be. I don't know who I am. I did. Uh, you know, and my, my wife would check me uh, at times and say, listen, you know, I, I married, you know, I married a cop, a, a college educated guy. I didn't marry some gangster, you know, so stop acting like a gangster. But, it, you know, very hard to turn that switch on and off. Um, you know, very hard to be gone for a few months and get a small break and come back home and, and, you know, act like the person you're supposed to be and you were and then slip right back into role when you're done and go right back in. So the lines get blurry. I'll be totally honest with you, Lou. I have a a deep appreciation for people that do long-term undercover, whether it be deep cover, because there's different phases of undercover work. There's occasional like drug buy, those sorts of things. And when I said earlier in a conversation about selling guns, one of the biggest ploys we had was was a officer was posing as a drug dealer and he would sell his service revolver or service weapon to a guy like me. And the the so called other drug dealers say, Oh, well, if he's selling guns, he must be okay. So I can sell him pot or coke or meth or whatever it might be. That's what we did. It was something we did often. So I just want to clarify that because I'm sure people are thinking Miami Vice and all this other stuff. And to me, that may occur somewhere, but that's that's not the reality. Yeah, the, the reality uh, of undercover work is so different from, you know, what you see on TV and what you thought it was. You know, I, I went into it thinking, you know, and you said Miami Vice, and, you know, we all watched it. And so I went into it thinking, you know, it was going to be uh, yachts and, and supermodels and mansions. <laughs> and, you know, in reality, it was projects and trailer parks and crap. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, I'm still waiting for the million dollar loft apartments. Where where are those deals? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just you know that's that's just not reality. And uh, once you get immersed uh, in that world, and it is a dirty world, it really is. Uh, then your survival skills take over. You have to act a certain way. You have to do certain things to survive and thrive in that world. You have to, you know, the greatest under, undercover skill of all is to make other people. 
and I mean bad guys when I say other people, want to be a part of your hustle. And that's what I did. I showed them what my hustle was. You know, I was a gun trafficker. I would buy guns off the street, crime guns. I would bring them up to my mobster buddies up in New York and sell them at a huge profit. And that's what really happens in the world. That's gun trafficking. And you have to have the ability to make people see that and want to be a part of your hustle. And that'll open up the whole world uh, to the criminal element once you can do that. Did these skills that you acquired doing that help you transition into civilian life and then eventually writing your book? I don't know about civilian life. Uh, I found out real quick there's not a whole lot of uh, appeal to the private sector uh, for a retired undercover agent. You know, those skills don't transfer over to the private sector very well. But when it came to writing the book, yes. uh, You know, I found out real quick that I'm not a writer. You know, we write police reports and investigative reports. And when I first wrote my book, that's how it read. And nobody... Other than me and you, nobody wants to read that. Right. Uh, I went through five co-authors. I kissed five frogs till I found the prince. His name was Brian Whitney, and he was able to take my story and make it very readable, uh, make it a page turner, uh, a quick read, and exciting. And the name of the book is? Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. You know, just the title um, alone right there, Lou, is like, it grabs, it kind of smacks you in the mouth. It's like, i got to check this out. Yeah, you know, no one's ever uh, written about these operations. Uh, these operations, they cease to exist anymore. They're pretty much Congress shut them down. And uh, we had such an incredible run. Uh, and so we took so many guns off the street. Yes, we did a lot of drugs, took a lot of drugs off the street. But that is, as you know, that's just kind of sticking your your finger in a hole in the dam. Uh, The guns, you know, I always looked at it this way. Every one gun I bought off the street in an undercover deal from some convicted felon or from some gangbanger, you know, how many lives potentially have you saved? You know, how many lives could that one gun have taken? So to take that many guns off the street was a real big deal to me. And where can people get more information about your book and maybe contact you? So the best way uh, is just to Google storefront sting and it'll come right up. It's on Amazon. Uh, I'm proud to say it was, it has been the Amazon's number one bestseller. All right. In the law enforcement genre uh, under new releases, it's kind of bouncing back and forth with a, another guy who, uh, a cop who was involved in the Brianna Taylor situation. Uh, so if you Google storefront sting, the Amazon link will come up. Uh, it's available at, you know, Target, um, Walmart, a couple other places. Um, I have a website, louvelozzi.com, L-O-U-V-A-L-O-Z-E.com. And I'm available for uh, public speaking. Uh, I have a presentation. I'm going out to Vegas next month to do it with the Narcos guys. And I'm just looking. I'm looking forward to getting on the road and, and starting to promote. Please do this me book. a favor when you're in Vegas. Tell them I said hello. And by the way, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is a nationally syndicated radio show, broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.